When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, you guys know what it is. We are back at it again. Your two favorite voices back in your ears. All right, this is Design Huddle, a podcast where we talk about all the best ways to get to that next level in your design career. We talk about everything from graphic design, product design, personal branding, tech trends, and we interview with some of the top of the line thought leaders in the industry today. We are your hosts. My name is Brandon Gross, a designer and digital strategist for Fortune 500s. Here with your long lost boy, even though he was solo in the last couple episodes, your boy, Ryan Warner. So we have an awesome topic for you today. I'm going to leave. I've had way too much coffee, guys. I'm going to stop talking and Ryan is going to give you the topic of today because it's really awesome. So what's up today, Ryan? Yeah, well, I'm stoked of that we're finally, the duo is back together. We can stop getting DMs saying, like, when are you guys going to have another, you know, combo episode? We only did two solo episodes. People act like we did, like, 20 episodes solo, but it's good to be back. Um, yeah, so awesome topic today. We're going to be going through all eight seasons of Game of Thrones from start to finish <laughs> and talk doing an episode-by-episode episode breakdown. <laughs> kidding kidding even though that would be awesome i don't know brendan are you a game of thrones i don't even watch game of thrones man i'm just like what is got who got got what is this dude like there's an episode we're recording on a sunday just so everyone knows so there's an episode that's on later tonight and i was joking around being like we should just totally pivot and make the entire design huddle podcast somehow about game of thrones but I, I think the name you everyone needs the DM follow at Brendan Gross on Instagram DM him watch Game of Thrones because no. all the hardcore fans out there you know what you know what I'm talking about. no I I don't need another dragon in my life <laughs> <laughs> no. that's the best that that's that's a that's a quote that I'm gonna hang up like in my office I don't need another dragon in my <laughs> life it's like very metaphorical but I like it deal all right anyways the episode we're talking about today i was going through so i i like you know i read a ton of articles i try to bookmark them and go back and read them when i like usually if i'm on vacation or take a block of time and when brendan and i were kicking around ideas of what to talk about today there was one that kind of jumped out at me because i think it's more relevant than ever we have two different perspectives of it and it's really just working we're, we're, i actually don't know where brendan falls on a lot of this so i think that's also something that we're just kind of recording a conversation but there's an article from Entrepreneur that was called 10 Lessons from the Billion Dollar Unicorn Startups. Great success begins with founding, te- with, you know, founding teams and creating solutions to improve everyday life. So if you're not familiar, a unicorn is basically like a startup that is unbelievably successful. Um, some of the you know, famous ones, Airbnb, WeWork, Uber, Lyft, um, Slack, there's a ton out there. A lot of them are actually IPOing um, more recently, but we're gonna go through these ten pretty quickly. We're not gonna make this a long episode. We're gonna read out like you know what the what the insight is, and then Brendan and I are gonna kind of give you know just real quick back and forth his take, my take, um, and we'll but we'll keep it moving. So the first one is, you know, um, these are basically tips of like how to do this um, and lessons learned. The first is build something 
that customers truly love. And the example from this one was Airbnb. So the co-founder is uh, Paul Graham. Um, he's you know super regard well regarded. He was part of Y Combinator, which is one of the most popular um, startup incubators. But um, you know Airbnb. It basically solved the issue of you know people like to travel, but I want to when I go to a, a city, I want to live like a local. So Airbnb really gave an opportunity for people to you know make pro- make a side hustle, make property off of their properties. But they also were in, finally giving people rather that cookie cutter feel of staying in a hotel. They gave someone an authentic experience. So the underlying thing here is build something that customers truly love. I think that if your company doesn't do something that people are going to be passionate about, then it's probably not going to succeed. Brendan, what's your takes on this first one? Yeah, I definitely think that's important. Like something, I'm taking the words right out of your mouth. Something that people are extremely passionate about. Um, and I, we was, this was something we were talking about earlier, and I think a lot of what was in the basically the soul of this article, so I'm not going to talk too much because I think it applies to each one of the points that we're about to go through. But, you know, especially reading a lot of Seth Godin's, uh, you know, literature recently, he loves, and my chair is squeaking, I apologize for those of you hearing that <laughs> shit. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a really uh, important quote in his literature to me, it's, People like us do things like this. And for brands to be able to speak to those specific groups and niches of people and be able to create products that specific people love, I think that's extremely important in today's day and age to actually, for people to give a fuck about what it is that you're building. Yeah. Short and sweet, but I I think that's, uh, you know, the TLDR there, you know, find something you're passionate about and build an idea and make sure it solves a problem. Um, the next one, establish a mission-driven company culture. Um, we, we haven't talked a ton about company culture. We haven't talked a ton about being a mission-driven, but the example here was WeWork. So I, I, I think most people know what WeWork is, but they provide private and shared workspaces for small to medium-sized businesses. I think they're now in 20 cities. They recently got evaluated for like you know well over $20 billion. Um, but they're, when you walk into a WeWork space, and I've only been to one or two, they usually have like a large sign with the phrase, do what you love. And the company really kind of embodies this mission that, you know, entrepreneurial and small businesses hold dear, that they're just pursuing their passions and they're building out, you know, a way to monetize, but at the same time, they're doing what they love. So I actually like, I really like this idea. It's simple. Do what you love is not a complicated mission. It's not, you know, three paragraphs, but I think it's an easy thing to rally around a company. So imagine when WeWork was first started with like a handful of employees and they're like, you know what, we're passionate about like helping other entrepreneurs have space so they can do their work and succeed and build their company and network and meet with other people. So very simple idea. It really, you know, it's basically like a real estate company in, in a lot of sense because they bought space and allowed people to go meet at it. But um, I love that idea. I, I you kind of forget the importance of, of, of having a mission. But um, yeah, WeWork's a good example here, but I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to Brendan to see what he thinks. Yeah, I think this is extremely important. This is one thing that we actually, you know, it's not one thing that I think too much about, actually. It's not top of mind for me, but is it's been brought to my attention, especially when I last visited um, or went to the Adobe Summit. And I was listening to very um, young, crazy smart people. I, I was listening to about like 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I'm not saying that I'm like super old or anything, but like these were people who were like, I feel way beyond where I'm thinking now. And I was just like, damn. 
<laughs> but they were talking, they were basically considered Gen Z. I think they were actually a lot younger than 20. And, um, you know, they were talking a lot about how their generation is really into mission-driven brands. And, you know, specifically brands like Tom's, the, what is it, Give One, Buy One, Give One? Are you familiar with, uh, what is it, Tom's? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so Tom's one for is like, one. If, I think if you buy a shoe, they donate one for, like, you know, people... I think it's like a community in need, but yeah, it's a great, yeah. a great example. So that's my example. And I actually heard people talking about this last week. Um, other designers, how Tom started with philanthropy first as their mission. It was the one for one. You buy one, we'll also give the to somebody in need. And I think they're pulling back from that. Their philanthropy first, and I think there's been some backlash from that. Um, so I, I had to do some reading into that, but it was just very interesting to one hear that, um, from Gen Zers, uh, at the Adobe summit in basically how they were like, you know, we are very conscious of, um, you know, you might have great products, but if you're not doing good into the world in the world, you know, we're not going to back that, um, we're environment, we're people first, we're mission first. In addition to, you know, for those of you guys who are philanthropy first, if you guys are, you know, reverting back to profit first. Um, we're going to give you strange looks. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think we kind of hit the nail on the head on that one. So the next one, when it's time to pivot. No, sorry. No, when it's time to pivot. This is really important for startups, right? Like you have to have really smart people, a good idea. But you also need to know that like, you know, maybe the audience, maybe the demographic, maybe the amount of space for growth isn't right. So you need to you need to know when it is to pivot and kind of change your idea and think about doing something else. You know, one of the most, one of the examples that I like, um, there's a popular CMS that's called Shopify. Many of you may or may not know about it, but um, the co-founders, so they, this was back in like 2004, um, Scott Lake really wanted to have an online shopping cart. He had a snowboarding business. Um, they didn't, they couldn't find any like good options. So, you know, basically the co-founders decided to write their own and make this solution available to other companies that were selling products. So this is really where, you know, Shopify was like, hey, we just spent the engineering resources to build a really good checkout experience. And that's eventually what evolved into becoming a CMS, a content management system. And now Shopify has over 10,000 stores. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking at their, their, some of their revenue now, and they have over $100 million in revenue. So you basically had two co-founders that were like, we have a small idea, we want to just sell snowboards. Then they put engineering work into building something that everyone needs online, right? A good checkout experience. And then they were like, hey, other small businesses can leverage what we did and they can pay us, you know, pay us to do it. And that's, you know, kind of how their idea came up. So um, a lot of times when you're, when people are, when a lot of these startups that you hear about, you know, they started off doing one thing, but they were flexible enough and they were willing enough to see another opportunity. And because they have good talent, you know, pivot and chase that. So not an easy thing to do, but a lot of successful companies are able to do this. And the ones that don't are usually the ones that fail. Um, it, and I'm not saying you always need to pivot, but sometimes you have to, depending on the industry that you're in. Right. And I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, you know, Ryan, the pivoting thing when, you know, going back from understanding who it is that you're serving with your product and understanding through testing and figuring out what your customer is actually wanting out of your product and being very sensitive enough to figure out, is it X, Y, or Z 
that they're focused on. And if they're only focused on X, cut everything out, focus on X and build out um, from that point of X. I think that's extremely important. And to be able to, you know, pay attention through testing on what people are focused on with your product. Um, I can't, I don't know the details of this. You basically had the perfect example. So I don't think I need to, to, to second on anything. I was going to talk about Instagram, but people are going to call me out and be like, Brandon White, why do you always talk about Instagram? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to have that conversation. Y'all can fight me in my DMs. Get at me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, easy, easy one. You know, being flexible is good in your personal life when you're starting a company being able to pivot even when you're when you have a small idea like Brendan and I have pivoted our own podcast just to make sure that we're better meeting our own audience. So that's just kind of a micro example of how this is relatable to what you're doing um, on a daily basis. Number four, realize that markets can accommodate more than one disruptor. I like this one for a lot of reasons. Uh, the most obvious example is ride sharing. You know, you have your Lyfts, your Ubers, your Vias. And now you have like the whole scooter battle out on the West Coast and like that are popping up where you have like the Lyft scooters, the Uber scooters, you have Bird and Lime. So the reason that this is kind of exciting is, is that usually when there's new markets that kind of come up out of nowhere, like the ride sharing obviously was one that's relatively recent, um, means that there's still opportunity for multiple companies to thrive and succeed. Another example, which you may or may not know about is the mattress industry. So you have Casper Mattress and Lisa. There's a ton of direct-to-consumer mattress companies that sprouted up around the around the same time. Um, the the part of the advantage here is that this creates competition, and competition in in, in industries like this also allows um, it usually benefits the consumer. So if you remember, um, Uber basically launched at South by Southwest. Um, like a while ago, I think like, I forget when this was, I want to say it was like, uh, mid to late two thousands and they gave free ride sharing service to everyone at the concert. And basically it was a way to give their product out for free. And then later like Lyft would give promo codes. And then, you know, Uber recently, like in the last couple of years has given like free 10 rides. So the reason that this is great for the end users is that because there's so much competition, you know, people that are using the services are getting a lot of the benefits. So takeaway from this is that just because there's a company that's already in your industry and you're chasing them doesn't mean that you don't have a viable business that could potentially be successful. I actually forgot what I was about to say. Hold on, everybody. Oh, you know what distracted me? When you started talking about the bed things, because I was about to be like, hashtag not sponsored. Everybody needs to go out and buy a purple because I just got one. <laughs> and you need oh, to there's get... a, yeah, another one. There's so many, there's so many good ones, but... If there's a mattress company listening, hit us up. We're all ears. <laughs> I, you know, just side note, I looked through Nectar, Purple, Casper. I didn't get Casper because it just it gave me PTSD for, like, the live action of the Casper movie. Um, I keep, I feel like I keep telling you guys my life on here. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, definitely get the Purple. But back to the, uh, you know, market and having different, many distributors not distributors, disruptors in one market. Simple example is Apple and anything Android. You have very two, and you can look at it like this in a very simple picture because y'all know I like to um, simplify it. There is a market, you can draw a circle, that's market. Inside market, there are different audiences. And for those different audiences and in those different niches and even sub-niches, there are 
those are basically open markets that you can create companies, businesses for, and then help those audiences or really, what is the word I'm looking for, Ryan? You can serve those customers through the correct product product that they are looking for. So with that said, there can be a market need. For example, cell phones, I, you know, I was about to say iPads, that's not a market, but cell phones, any type of uh, device, uh, what am I looking at you through a laptop? See, this is what happens when you have instant coffee, guys. It's just <laughs> <laughs> the poor man's coffee. No, um, it's just dependent on who your audience is, what what exactly they're expecting. You know, I just like to go back to that one, uh, you know, that one sentence that uh, Seth Godin says is people like us do things like this, and that is really dependent on who's the niche, who is the sub niche, and you can create a product around specific groups. And their needs so yeah which is a which is a perfect transition into you know niche markets can be a great entry point for innovation so of course there's companies the ubers the lyft the netflix of the world but there's also companies that do stuff that's just simple but it actually ends up being massively beneficial to a sub industry the example that they use in this article was twilio so it's, you know, it's basically a, uh, it's a product that allows software engineers and product experts to kind of prioritize what's going on. So it's kind of is like a product roadmap or a product backlog. So you can kind of create tasks, assign owners, and you can basically, a lot of product managers and engineering teams use it to manage, you know, bugs or feature requests. So, you know, that's a very like tech centric, very specific um, use case, but think about it, like every company has an engineering team. So if you're creating a sub product that every engineering team needs and you're creating a demand for it and you're creating a great UX user experience that's on top of it, you know, then people are going to come to it. So uh, I think that's the other thing that I always have found interesting about startups is people find really, really interesting niches and then they just execute and they really get a, 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 like a particular target audience like really excited about it. So for Twilio, it was, you know, engineers, but for, you know, other companies, like there's a company called WAG that let, you know, will walk your dog. So like pet owners love this company because, you know, they are working at home and they need to call the company and they need to have someone come walk their dog. It's like very beneficial, but pet owners don't care about it. But, you know, the pet industry alone is a multi-billion dollar industry. So, um, yeah, Brendan, what's your, what's your thoughts on niche markets being a good place for innovation? Yeah, I really think it's really just what I said before. And just to pull another Seth Godin uh, quote, um, he also says, in addition to people like us do things like this, is that different people should be treated differently. And really to pull some meaning out of that is really just tr specific groups of people have, you know, they have the same language. And what I mean by language is that certain ways that they speak to to one another, symbols that um, resonate with them and what is familiar to them, you know, there's a when you have a group of people, there are very, there's similar things in those groups, in language, symbols, the way that they expect things, what is familiar to them. And when it comes to communication, products that are created, or brands that are creating products need to create products that talk to them, that are familiar to these groups, that speak the same language as these groups. Because imagine if you're creating a product for, you know, multiple groups of people, it's, you know, in my mind, what Seth was saying was that take two people from two different cultures, two different languages, and, um, you know, two different things that are familiar to them and try to have them communicate. 
you know, speaking to family, even though we have very similar things in common, we have we typically hold the same, um, you know, growing up, we typically hold the same beliefs. We speak the same language. That's what we grew up with. And, um, you know, et cetera. And it's a little bit even there's even some difficulty there. Now, try to scale that to two people in two different cultures, two different languages, etc. That's going to be very different. And we have to, as brands and as people who build products, we have to niche down and speak the same language in addition to talk with them with what they're familiar with. So, yeah, that's a I love the example of uh, family speaking the same language. I think that's a good that's a good, easy metaphor for everyone to relate that that point to. Um, sweet. So. Number six, just kind of cruising along, consumers are looking for a frictionless shopping experience. Again, these are lessons learned from unicorns. So frictionless shopping experience is like, to me, a no-brainer, right? Um, but I'm going to kind of give like a little bit more, I'm going to dig a little bit more into this. So think of it like not like, um, when, you're, when you're building, if, a comp- if someone's building a company, a lot of times, it, let's just say you're building like a, uh, let's say you're building a fashion brand. A lot of times when you're building a brand, you're only looking at the competitors that are in your own industry. So you're only looking at other fashion companies, other clothing brands, but you should really be, when you're thinking about developing your product, you should be thinking about the best experiences you've ever had in your life. That's what users are comparing it to. Users' expectations are at an all-time high, and it's really hard, and it's very difficult that people are demanding engaging experiences. So, you know, this whole point around frictionless shopping experience is like, yeah, of course, but the broader thing is that you need to create a best in class user experience that makes it super easy to get, allow your users to complete whatever their goal is. So if you're a food delivery app, you better make it super easy to, you know, find the food that they're looking for, pay safely, pay securely, and give the user real time updates of when the food will be at your door. So, um, yeah, frictionless shopping experience is a obvious learning or lesson that these startups do really well. But I think of this as more of like these, these products are very well designed because they understand the user's core needs and they do it really well. Yeah, I really do. In this article, guys, um, we'll also have the link in the description. I really like how they bring out the example of what is it? Instacart Ryan or yeah. Yeah. Instacart where, you know, the, the byline or the subline of this is that we need to be able to create frictionless, um, you know, experience, shopping experiences. But I want to say for the right people. And again, you, you guys can be like, you've be, you been hopping on Seth Golden all day. You've been reading too many of his books. Um, <laughs> but I think it's extremely important to notice that, yes, you have to have the, the you know, high level, you have to have frictionless shopping experiences, but for the right people. So the, in, the instance they give here is that you have, you know, I do a lot of shopping through Amazon because my ass is not going to go to the store and wait in line. Ryan, I waited in line in a store, I think last week, I almost cried. But um, again, <laughs> you guys are just going to end up sending me tissues. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I like to do Amazon shopping. I do not want to interface with other people when it comes to food. I just want it at my door. Thank you. But for people who want an actual human to human, you know, some contact there, Instacart saw that, you know, some people want something then other than automation, they put a human touch to it. And I think that, again, that's niching down and knowing who exactly you're trying to serve. So I think that's a good example. Automation serves the right people in addition to how Instacart serves the right people in a specific niche by adding a human back into that experience. So... Yeah, I mean, 
spot on as always. I think we're very aligned on that on point number on number point number six. So point number seven, sell the tools you would want to use yourself. So there's a lot of ways to think about this one. I think this is like, you know, internally, if you're like working at a startup, you know, maybe it's getting, if you're a developer, getting them to use the framework that you, you know, you feel passionate about that you think is going to deliver a good experience. It could also be like, you know, selling the tools that you would use yourself. Like if you're a big sketch user, you can get your entire company to use sketch and have your whole design process or Webflow or Figma or whatever you use. Like, I think that's also part of it is like being able to rally around and say like this tool is ultimately going to make our company more successful. Um, yeah, I don't really have a ton on this one. I think it's kind of it's kind of basic, you know, sell the tools that you'd want to use yourself. But what's your take on this on this point, Brendan? Adobe XD. <laughs> <laughs> Just rep the brand. I love it. <laughs> that's, that, that's hilarious. Sell the tools you want you want to use yourself, guys. Right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to number eight. Uh, mid-market organizations are often underserved. This one is probably a little bit more relevant. This is also like kind of like similar to the niche one that we already kind of talked about. Um, but, you know, like one example of like, you know, mid-market organizations, like think about like um, MailChimp, right? There's also like, there's there's companies like Salesforce and like Oracle that can do, you know, send, help you send hundreds and thousands of emails. MailChimp is more for like small to medium sized businesses to kind of, you know, you can have a newsletter, you can engage, you can maintain, you know, your distribution list. Um, I think they kind of saw the need in the market for like the entrepreneurs, the SMBs to be successful. So that's like one example from here. Um, another one is HubSpot. That was the one they referenced in the article. They launched in 2005. Um, it basically is a small to medium sized business that helped with digital marketing. So they basically helped. Um, organizations with inbound automated, sorry, automated inbound marketing strategies. So they basically, rather than going after the big fortune 500 companies, they went after um, some smaller businesses. So yeah, this is kind of goes without saying is that you don't always need to chase the biggest companies in the world. There's plenty of uh, meat on the bone um, for small to medium sized businesses. Yeah, I definitely think this is actually, I'm going to keep it, keep it short on this one. Cause I think it actually ties back to, uh, one of our previous points when it, you know, talking about niching down mid mark mid market organizations are often underserved. I think this is just another way of saying that, you know, niching in the correct, you know, whether you're going up in market, you know, if it's large companies, mid-sized companies, small companies, or specific sub niches inside those markets. So cool. Moving last two to bring it home. Uh, number nine, the public is willing to support, forward-thinking organizations. I think this is basically like the cool factor, right? Like when companies are cool, people can rally around it. I think a good example of this is like how viral Snapchat was a couple of years ago because like you got DJ Khaled using it. And like, I don't know if you would consider them forward-thinking, but they basically created a social experience that was viral. So when you have a product that is genuinely very cool, People are going to get excited about it and talk about it. So that's the one that, you know, I, I, I think is obvious for most people. There's another company that I, you guys should check out that I was reading about recently. I don't know a ton about it. It's called uh, Magic Leap, but they basically do like immersive, like, uh, like, 
like I don't even know how to. It's like take my money. Do you know? Do you, do you, have you heard of him before? All I remember is seeing this marketing video of a whale coming out of a basketball court, and I was just—I yeah, basically yeah, just shat insane, myself, right? and I was like, I just want to be in in twenty one hundred in five, so I can <laughs> live in another universe with a whale coming out of uh, my bedroom floor. Yeah. So they have. So I'll just tell you like how they describe themselves. Um, they say Magic Leap is a startup that recently released a head-mounted virtual. Uh, display called Magic Leap 1, which I've seen mock-ups for. It looks pretty cool. And basically, it works by projecting a digital light field into the user's eye, and it uses augmented reality and computer vision and attempting to construct light field. So basically, it's a, it's a hardware startup that's getting into augmented reality, but they get a lot of buzz just because of the... And it's funny that Brendan and I both saw the same thing of like this whale jumping on a basketball court... And like everyone in the stands was like reacting to the whale, so I don't really is, is, that, is that the one that you saw too? Yeah, I thought it was dope. I was just like, as soon as the whale splashed into the the back into the the playing court, I was just like, fuck it. Even though there's two minutes left in this video, we are where's the where's the buy button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I mean. Like that's what it does, right? It generates social buzz. It's it's cool. It's exciting. So forward thinking, you know, anytime you're disrupting an industry, we're going to see this more and more with blockchain companies. Uh, That's like the next big industry where we're going to see, you know, um, that's going to be integrated into every industry. So last one, just to kind of bring it home, is all sectors can be disrupted, even government. I think this is, I think this is great. You know, there's things like small ones, like if you, and this is what's exciting too, because like if you're passionate about the environment, if you're passionate about sports, media, fashion, clothes, shoes, literally anything can be disrupted. So there's no better time to get started to you know figure out whatever your niche is or whatever you want to tackle. But I think that is a good lesson: is that you don't need to go after, you don't need to create another social media app. If you're not passionate about it, don't build a product, don't hire a team around it. So. Um, yeah, like for me, like I think stuff that I think would be interesting that like uh, that I think indus- in- industries for me that I think are interesting are I think the environment is super interesting of like how can we create like a more sustainable earth? I think that would be there's tons of opportunity in eco, um, you know, helping companies become more green. And the other one for me is like healthcare. I feel like healthcare still is like way behind other industries and that design, there's a ton of opportunity to you know, use design and better products to make hospitals more efficient and ultimately people having longer, healthier lives because, you know, they have the tools and resources to make sure that they're putting the right things in their body. So, yeah, those are two things that I think, Brendan, is there any niche industries that you would personally want to disrupt if someone wrote you like, you know, a check for a million dollar seed to like kick off the ground tomorrow? Uh I don't. I, I know you're passionate about education because that's education your easy one, right? Is yeah, it's big for me. Um, I don't even know what to even classify it. I think it's a mix of like, are you familiar with Elliot? It's like a mixture of what I know from bodybuilders, the mindset of that, and just being like strong-minded. Basically, like if like the Alan Watts, the Gary V in the uh, you know, strong. I can't even pronounce say it, guys. But I basically want to impact the education of or the education market and help people understand that, you know, it takes 
the way that you think about what, how you're going about things, the, your mentality, your technical skills, and the absolute, the way you go about gaining attention that allows you to gain visibility, career control, and actually allow you to work with your dream clients. Um, and that's really, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to um, impact right now. So I don't know what that market is called. <laughs> it's It would be called the brand and gross market, but I think it's a whole bunch of different market shares pulled together and i think that's what makes it unique i know that uh the future is in education right now christo is really killing it and he's even moving it into more so a mindfulness and technical perspective because he's now doing a lot more mind related uh workshops and i think that's highly important um for uh, really everybody because we can learn technical skills all day i think technical skills are a commodity because at the end of the day you can learn a, really much anything, but what stops us is the blocks in our minds that in the stories that we create that will tell us that even though we have all the skill, it, we won't allow ourselves to execute and do much more. Um, so I'm very interested in the mind, the technical skills, and actually gaining attention around what it is that you can put bring into the world. So yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's another point is that it doesn't have to be a well-defined industry, right? It can yeah. be... It can be multiple industries that overlap. Yeah. I think that's what's important because I think a lot of the main, like even with Google, if you type in bodybuilding, bodybuilding.com's got that. So we have to niche down and niche down again for this generation. There's already so much market taken over by uh, people who have like the general terms taken. Yeah. I love it. That's a good, it's a great breakdown. Um, it's cool. So today we talked about the 10 lessons from billion dollar unicorn startups. We'll link the entrepreneur article. Super interesting. Brenda and I were kind of just kind of intrigued by the, the, the topic and we thought it would be interesting to throw at you guys. But here's the list real quick. Build something that your customers truly care about. Establish a mission driven company culture. Know when it's time to pivot. Realize the markets. Realize that markets can accommodate more than one disruptor. Niche markets can be a great opportunity to find innovation. Consumers are always looking for frictionless shopping experiences. Sell the tools that you would want to use yourself. Mid-market organizations are often underserved. The public is willing to support forward-thinking organizations. All sectors can be disrupted, even the government. Um, so just to, you know, enclose here. Yeah, startups are awesome. There's a ton of opportunity. If you're working for a startup, I'd love to get your take on this too. Maybe you think some of this is fluffy. Maybe you think some of this is actually spot on. Um, you know, send us a note on the design huddle Instagram handle. And then the other thing that Brendan and I are excited about is in a couple episodes, we want to just spend an episode answering your questions. So start to send us DM us on the design huddle, Instagram handle your questions. We're going to gather the best ones and we're going to spend an entire episode answering them. Um, cause we really want to give back to the feedback. We, um, obviously really appreciate the support that you guys have given us over the past, I don't know four or five months now. Um, but Brendan, anything else before we sign off to our peeps? Nope, that's good. I just want to rectify. I'm going to erase something Ryan said. DJ Khaled and forward thinking. He used it in the same sentence. Done. All right, have a good night. <laughs> All right, yeah, we got we to gotta, we gotta watch our pop culture references uh, for the next episode. But <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. This is Design Huddle signing off. Peace. Peace.